I would highly encourage you to take a few notes. I love to see people taking notes. I take notes in meetings and one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations or when I'm listening to teaching. You know, Steve, one of my favorite one-liners I heard years ago was a thought that cannot be placed immediately will be lost eventually. And so I'm like, let me go ahead and place that thought down because I want to hold on to that. I want to remember that nugget. So I highly encourage you to take notes. Now, we've encouraged our people to read a book called The 66 Love Letters by Larry Crabb. And if you don't have a copy, I would highly encourage you to get it, 66 Love Letters. It's an incredible read. It's very provoking. But what we're doing here is we're looking at the 66 love letters, the books of the Bible. We believe all scripture is inspired by God. We believe it's profitable to help us grow and become the people that God wants us to be. And so we started back in June going through Genesis. Last week I was in Isaiah and Jeremiah. The week before that, Dustin covered Solomon with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Nick, the week before that, was in Psalms, kind of looking at much of what David and others had written in the book of Psalms. Today, we're going to be looking at the life of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. Three incredible life stories. Now, one of the fundamental uh, driving points for us here at the cross is we believe your story matters. Your story matters. My little dude, Caleb, uh, had surgery about four weeks ago, and uh, we met this guy that was a nurse there, started talking to him, happened to be friends with Jeremy and Amanda. The next Sunday, he shows up here at the Cross Loganville. I'm like, how cool. Well, one of our ladies in our church had to have some, uh, some female surgery uh, done this week, and they're prepping her for surgery, and who walks in other than the guy that had attended church here a few weeks ago? And when he walks in, he's got on his arm, your story matters. And I think he was wearing that bracelet to convince himself <laughs> that his story matters. And I think a lot of times when we wear the your story matters bracelet, it's not only to wear it to remind you that others' stories matter, but it's to remind you that your story matters. And it's there to remind you that God wants to redeem your story. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, three words I'll play on today. Ezekiel, speak up. Daniel, stand up. Hosea, show up. I want to talk about speaking up, standing up, and showing up today. The name Ezekiel means strengthened by God. Now, you'll hear me say often here, nomen est omen, a Latin phrase that means your name is your destiny. Your name is your destiny. What's your name? My name is Ezekiel. It means to be strengthened by God. Ezekiel was a priest that God anoints to become a prophet. Now, the priest was the person within synagogue, within Israel, that would make intercession to God on behalf of the people, meaning he was to go to God and pray and intercede for the people. God anoints him as a prophet, which now means he's going to be God's spokesperson to the people on behalf of God. So Ezekiel is an interesting character. He is a guy that is very familiar with intercession. Now he's anointed to be prophet. Now here's a premise statement, and I want you to think about this through the book of Ezekiel. To know God in his holiness is to know yourself in your sinfulness. Think about that. To know God in his holiness, to see God for all of his glory and 
the holiness of who God is confronts the fact that I am very sinful, wicked, and sick. If you ever see God for who he is, for the character of God, you will not continue to pacify sin in your life because you'll realize that you're going to stand before ultimately this God one day, but every day you have to stand before him. One of the fundamental thoughts for me is the holiness of God motivates and compels my surrender. Tim, what motivates you to surrender to God? It's the holiness of God. That's the reason when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, holy, holy, holy was the Lord God Almighty. He's like, man, I, 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 I've got to deal with me. I can't tolerate sin. I can't pacify sin. I've got to deal with it. Now, one of the most powerful uh, stories, if you will, in the book of Ezekiel is found in chapter 37. And I want to share this with you. But I think it's a very strong word, not only for Ezekiel in his day, but I think it's strong for you as you sit here this morning. Now, please allow the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight in your heart right now. Please do everything you can to eliminate distractions and crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you because I believe what we're going to unpackage applies to every person in this room. Ezekiel chapter 37, he says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with dead bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered up the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere, and they were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you, and I'm going to make you alive again, and I will put flesh and muscles on you, and I'll cover your skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come alive. Then... You will know that I am the Lord. Seventy times in the book of Ezekiel, God continues to emphasize the point he's trying to get across. I want my people to know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Ezekiel received a vision. And the vision was everywhere he looked, all he saw was death. All he saw was dead bones. And in this vision, God tells him to hang out in the cemetery, jump up on a tombstone, and amongst all the dead, brother, I want you to prophesy. It sounds crazy. It sounds radical. But this was the vision God gave him, and it was a portrait of where Israel were, uh, was at that time. They're dead. Dead means refusing to surrender. Dead means rejecting God. Dead means I don't want anything to have to do with God. I, I want to do my own thing. He says, look, 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 look around you, Ezekiel. You see all these dead bodies? And that would be my question to you today. Do you see all the dead people around you? People that merely are existing they're working jobs, they're raising families, they're enjoying their hobbies, but they're dead. They're just dead. They're lost. They're searching. They're longing for meaning. 
And much like the command of Ezekiel, go to these dead people and speak a prophetic word. God has called you and I to go into all the world with an assignment to reach, to teach, to train, to be making disciples of all nations. God says, I, I want to use you. Do you not see, Dan? Do you not see, Mike? Do you not see all the dead stuff around you? Yeah, you don't see it. And so there's spiritual death that occupies our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. And when we look around, it's like, man, there, there's so much death. Three thoughts here is that he saw death. When you look around, what do you see? What do you see? Drug overdoses, sex trafficking, suicides, why are they on the rise? Why is addiction on the rise? Because they're dead. They've rejected or refused surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And they're compromising deep down inside with the things of the world. They're still negotiating. They're still... Chasing after the things of the world. You're like, what's wrong with them? They're, 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 they're dead. What do you see? He saw devastation. You would be wise to pause and say, God, open my eyes so that I can see the devastation around me. Open my eyes so that I can see the, the paralysis and, and, and just the numbness. And the hopelessness that exists around me. There's so many people that attend church week after week, but they're devastated. I started thinking about this. They're devastated. They're, they like purpose. They're, they're longing for fulfillment. They're depressed. And they've slipped over into some type of addiction. A gentleman comes in today and I hook him up with our recovery ministry. Been drinking. I, I know the Lord. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I started to sedate and medicate. Th that, that's some of you in here. And praise God for the confession saying, I got to get well. We've been dealing with situations for Nick and I, a couple of the guys that we dealt with, here recently, porn addiction. Every morning I just look at porn. Every morning I do this. And the physical manifestation of sickness that's leaked out of their body is unreal. So one individual looked at me the other day with tears streaming down his face. And he said, I've been living a life of devastation. I've been hiding. I've been covering. And nobody knew me. But Tim, you, you got to know, as soon as I brought this into the light, this is the First morning in over two years that I've woke up without hives on my body. That's right. God hates secrets. And inside the church, there's people living lives of devastation. What do you see? Families being destroyed, husbands not leading. Children rebelling? People are lost. What do you see? What 
do you see? There's death. There's devastation. There's defeat. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And they're saying all hope is gone and our nation is finished. You ever been there? There's no hope. My future is finished. I have nothing to live for. Hopeless. No direction. Misguided. So the question really is, what do you see and what will you do? To see something and do nothing is hypocritical. What do I see? I see people hurting. Jesse was telling me, he's like, I got to tell you a story. He meets a guy the other day. Spent a little time with this guy, and he goes, but dad, we locked in. This guy started sharing his story. Really? Yes. He's a little bit older than I am, dad. His mom got pregnant on a one-night stand. Basically has had little to no affiliation with his dad. Mom ends up doing the meth trip for a long time. He stays with some family members. And dad, he said, he, he, he don't have any direction. He don't even know what, what being a man looks like. He's starving. Dad, I was sharing Christ with this guy. And I was sharing with him that hope is available. And we would, we would walk with him. That's right. That's right. And I was sitting there listening to him share going, if an 18-year-old can get out of his comfort zone, a 20-year-old can, a 30-year-old can, a 50-year-old can. What do you see? And what will you do? Because one of the fundamental problems is that we come here, we lift hands, we celebrate, we high-five, but we check it at the door. It's not 365-24-7. It's a pep rally. Now, we're about the game. We're about playing the game. When, when you look at verses 4 and 9, listen. God said, Ezekiel, speak up. Talk, bro. He said to me, speak a prophetic message, son of man. Speak up. Prophesy. Tell them the truth. Speak up. You felt the Holy Spirit convict you and press into you here recently saying, speak up. Get out of your comfort zone. I just don't know that much. Well, well what do you know? Have you met Jesus? Yeah, I just met him three months ago. Well, he's called you to be a witness, not a lawyer. So just speak up. A witness tells what they've seen and what has happened. He ain't calling us to be lawyers. We ain't got to know all the arguments. We've just got to know that I've met Jesus and he's radically changed me. What do they need to hear? They don't need to hear your political views. They don't need to hear our opinions. They need to hear the gospel. That the grace of God is extended to pagans and those who are far off. 
They need to hear that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus willfully walked the Via Della Rosa, died a criminal's death to save sinners like you and me. They need to hear that on the third day, he gloriously resurrected from the dead to redeem people like you and me. They need to hear that life and love and hope and salvation is available in Jesus' name. What do you see? What will you do? All of us have been called to participate in the Great Commission. All of us have been called to sanctify Christ as Lord in our lives and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. He goes on to say in verse 9, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe into these dead bodies so that they can live. Breathe hope. Breathe life. You'll hear us say that we desire to be life coaches here. We want to breathe life on you. We want to breathe hope on you. We want to breathe vision on you. He goes, I just want you to breathe life on them. And when you breathe life, you don't desire to see a person become a better version of the old them. You desire to see them become a new creation in Christ. God didn't want me to be a better version of the lost pagan, Tim. If any man is in Christ, Tim, he's a new creation. I've given you a new heart, new compassion, new desires. Go breathe life. So here's the question, and you need to take some time. Who am I sharing Christ with? Who am I sharing Jesus with? Family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, wherever we're at. Who am I sharing Christ with? Who am I praying for? Who am I starting to pray for that I can breathe life in? Who, who, who am I praying for? You're in the game. You're in the game. And no matter where you're at, I believe with all my heart that God will give you teed up opportunity, son, if you will be obedient in the moment. And God will continue to give you more and more assignments as you're obedient. And I believe that for all of us. When I repented and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus in October of 85 and go back to play ball in 1986, all I knew is who I met I knew I'd been walking with Jesus for about five months. I knew I was still jacked up in a lot of areas. But he goes, speak up to your teammates. Speak up to your trainers and coaches. Speak up. Okay. I was cleaned up. I didn't have alcohol and all this junk in my system, and I got on a training program. And I'll never forget this. The minor league director for the Houston Astros during spring training that year. He called me into his office. I was like, well, this ought to be interesting. So he calls me into his offices, and this is about the time that the steroid era was about to kick in. He's like, Cash, what happened to you? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're one of the three hardest pitchers, throwing pitchers we've got in camp, Nolan Ryan, Charlie Kerfeld, and yourself. What happened to you? 
I said, there's two things that happened to me. I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and all the hell raising and partying is gone. I'm worshiping the king. And the second thing that happened is I got on a core training program and I've gotten stronger. That's what happened to me, sir. Were you one of the hardest throwing pitchers we have in camp? I was like, check out God. He said, tell that minor league director what happened to you. Tell him. Speak up. Who are you praying for? This is not like just a question to offer in a message. This is a question to consider in life. Who am I praying for? Who's on my prayer list? Who am I really seeking God on their behalf? And who am I sharing Christ with? So Ezekiel says, cross Loganville, it's time to speak up, Matt. Speak up at Kennesaw State, brother. There's people lost out there. Speak up, Esposito, down in Mexico, brother. There's lost people in the gym, wherever you're at. Speak up, Dano. Speak up, Jan, at the school, baby girl. Speak up. Blake, when you're Uber driving, speak up. They're in your car, and they're not jumping out. Just go ahead and speak up. Then we're introduced to Daniel. Daniel, his name means God is my judge, and Daniel is all about standing up. The book of Daniel declares that in this world you will have trials and tribulation and test. The book of Daniel is replete with stories of testing, going through difficulty. Listen to me. Chapter 1, they were tested when they got to Babylon. They meet Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, man, I'm going to change y'all. I'm going to change your diet. Y'all going to learn this Chaldean literature. I'm going to change your name. He tried to change them physically, mentally, and spiritually. I, I, I'm going to try to change y'all. They stood up. Daniel chapter 3, they tell Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Their names are not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to throw y'all in the fiery furnace. You were not willing to bow before Nebuchadnezzar. They throw them in, and it's a test. They turn the furnace up, but them boys didn't bow, and them boys didn't bend, and them boys didn't burn because a fourth man showed up in the fire. They didn't compromise, but they went through a test. They told Daniel... We're going to throw you in the lion's den. And after a full night of rest, they walked back over and they saw Daniel standing because he wouldn't compromise. God was with him in the midst of his testing. Your faith is going to go through testing. But faith that is never tested can't be trusted. The only way you'll know that you can trust what you believe is you have to go through adversity and fires. Listen, parents, let your kids fail. Let them struggle. Don't bell them out. I speak as a dad of five. I ain't belling your butt out. I'm not calling the teacher because you didn't turn in your assignment. Your excuses don't carry any weight with me, bro. Not working. You failed it? Go figure it out. You think I'm joking? 
You ask them. Seriously. Nick, we have to experience failure. We have to experience adversity. We have to experience struggle. But when our faith is tested through the fire and we remain strong in the Lord, we go, I can trust. I can trust. I can trust. And God is wanting us to know that we can trust him. Larry Crabb made this statement. The greatest danger we face today is prosperity. Earthly blessings that reinforce the false hope that nothing serious will ever go wrong in our lives if we just keep believing and trusting and smiling. No, no the Bible is full of stories that say, oh, you're believing, you're trusting. It rains on the just and the unjust. You're going to go through it, but your God is able. Your God is faithful. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Press into him and watch him work. So, Mike, as we go through Daniel, I, I, I just wrote down some principles that I, that I want you to ponder. Honoring God is not always easy, but it's worth it. Honoring God is tough at times. When culture is screaming at you, when the world is saying, compromise, negotiate, nobody will ever know. Can I tell you, honoring God and honoring the principles of God and staying steadfast and true and obedient, it's not always easy. I can tell you it's worth it. It is worth it. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. You've got to make the resolve before the big temptations and trials come. That's the reason I look at the younger generation, Jesse, Josh, and many of these others, and I'm like, if you drive the stake in the ground at a young age and you resolve and purpose that I'm not going to defile myself with the things of the world, I'm going to stay locked in with the Lord. When the temptations come, you'll go, hold on, I made a resolve. I've got an authority. I've got a king. There's one that I'm answering to. As you read the book of Daniel, it screams that God can use you no matter where you are. God is not restricted to using you to just some geographical location. If you're at work, he can use you. If you're walking through Kroger, he can use you. If you're walking the streets of your neighborhood, he can use you. God, where can you use me? Wherever you make yourself available to me to be used, that I can use you. I'm telling you right now, I encourage you to stand up. And when you stand up, speak up. Don't compromise. You don't have to give in to the things of the world. One of the principles we take away from Daniel is this. Your enemies can never disrupt God's plan for your life. Your enemy may come against you. People may try to attack you. They may try to undermine you. But can I tell you, your enemies cannot disrupt God's plan. God is greater than and greater is he who lives inside of you than he who is in the world. I study the life of Daniel, and I think, man, he was a man of conviction. He was a man of competence. He was a man of character. He was a man of courage. And I'm like, God, I want those attributes to exist inside of me. I want to be competent. 
I want to have character. I want to live with conviction. But Lord, I want to be courageous for your name's sake. Now here would be the question, what are you facing today? And where are you being tempted to compromise? No, every one of us in here. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to pick you apart. Specifically right now, where are you being tempted to compromise? Where are you negotiating? Where? Where? Are you sedating? Are you medicating? Are you justifying the bottle? Are you justifying because things are home at home right now and your marriage is a little rough that it's okay to go to the internet? It's okay to search sites on the phone? Where are you being tempted? Student, being tempted to cheat? Cut corners? Where is the enemy trying to pick you apart? We all go through temptation. No temptation is taking you, but such is common to man, based on 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape because he's faithful. Stand up. Do what's right. Don't rob God. Don't dishonor God. Don't lie about your reality. God hates secrets. Get it in the light. Address it. Confess it. Quit suppressing it. It's time to stand up. Ezekiel, I want you to speak up. Daniel, I want you to stand up. Hosea, I want you to show up, brother. Mm. Hosea is one of the most interesting books in the Bible for me. Hosea's name, similar to Yeshua, means salvation offered. The first words in the book of Hosea read this way. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. Hosea, I want you to go marry a harlot. Mm. If my son came to me and said, Dad, the Lord told me to head to the gold club. And there's one waiting on me. He would pick her out. I would say, you have lost your mind. You will pee in a cup today. <laughs> Think about how crazy this word was to Hosea. I want you to marry a harlot. Her name's Gomer. That's not a sexy name. Could you imagine that? I hope and pray nobody's named their kids Gomer in this room. So forgive me if you have. But wouldn't that be a trip? Hey, brother, how you doing? I want you to meet my wife. <laughs> Baby, we're going to have to go by a nickname. <laughs> but he tells him to marry a harlot. The prophet and the prostitute. You've heard people say, man, that was a marriage made in heaven. 
That sounds like one sent straight from the pits of hell. But he obeys. The book of Hosea, if you study it with a heavenly perspective, is all about God revealing God's heart. I want you to know my heart. What's your heart? My heart, Tim, is I extend grace to the wayward. You see, when you read the book of Hosea as a redeemer offering salvation, you'll conclude that you are Gomer. You'll conclude that you are Gomer. That's the conclusion. Lord, I gave myself to other things trying to find satisfaction. I gave myself to other shallow lovers trying to satisfy myself. We're all a bunch of gomers in here today. That's the reality. I want you to marry her. He does. They start having kids. She has three. They have three kids together. And uh, Gomer, after a few years with being with Hosea and having these kids, decided that she was going to go back to a life of harlotry. Some of y'all have done that. Some of y'all have said yes to Christ and walked an aisle and really meant whatever prayer you prayed, but you find yourself weeks and months later like Gomer. You're, you're back out in the world. You're settling for an idiot. You're back out sedating and medicating. And it's like, I, I, I've done that. But the betrayed lover never gives up on the corrupt. And the betrayed lover continues to pursue that. And God says, Hosea, she's back out there on the streets, bro. She's being sold down there at the auction on the slave market. I want you to go down there and buy her back. And I, I don't want you to pay a price as if she's just a low-rent prostitute. I want you to pay the price as if she was a virgin and she was pure and she was the best thing, Hosea, on the market. Go buy her back. Man, I'm staggered with the gospel of grace in my own life. That the king of kings and lord of lords would pay the ultimate price to redeem somebody like me. Amen. He's back out in the world. He's not honoring me. He gave up for whatever reason. Here's something I wrote, Chet, that I think is so crucial. I don't think that Gomer believed that she deserved love and forgiveness. So she fell back into her old patterns. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I, I, I don't deserve this unconditional love from Hosea. And Israel had repeatedly broken the heart of God. You don't know me. You don't know my love. You don't know my pursuit. You're, you're still trying to find life and satisfaction apart from me. You don't know me. She didn't know. But I think for many of us sitting in this room, 
we've struggled with becoming wayward. Even after tasting and see that the Lord is good, because something down inside of us concludes, I don't deserve his love. True, I don't deserve his forgiveness. True, if we got what we deserved, it would be death and hell and devastation. But grace is being extended, this mercy and compassion and love of God, saying, I want you to believe what I believe about you. See, see, God is constantly wooing us to say, I want you to believe what I believe about you, what I say to be true about you. I don't want you to believe your past. I don't want you to believe what the world says. I want you to believe what I believe and say about you. And I think one of the fundamental struggles for so many people is they believe what their past says, they believe their previous narrative of what their friends say, but if you ever get to the place, Shelley, where you can believe what God believes and says to be true and it to be enough, start to walk into freedom. You start to walk into freedom. Now, one of the things I wrote down as I contemplated this is we all have scars from searching for the wrong things. All of us have scars. Some may be physical. Some may be mental. Some may be emotional scars. But Nick, every person that walks in here with us, brother, week after week after week, we've all got scars. I went to the wrong places. Hosea 4.6, here's what he says. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. My people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. Do you know him? I'm talking about knowing God in a real, genuine, authentic way. We talk about the two major words in the Bible for knowing is the word oida, which means cognitive, but the word gnosko is an experiential heart surrender level. God goes, I want you to know me. I want you to gnosko me. I want you to experience me. Do you know God? Do you know the heart of God? Here, here's the battle. Here's the tension of the soul. What will I do with this extravagant grace that's being offered to me? What will I do with the extravagant grace that God has extended saying, you don't have to stay stuck in sin. You don't have to continue to wallow in self-pity. You don't have to be consumed with yourself. I love you. I forgive. I offer hope. I offer healing. What will you do with the tension in your soul of responding vertically to the grace of God? And then what will you do with the narcissistic thought patterns that you have that you refuse as a believer to extend that grace to other people? 
People that claim to be intimate followers and bash and slander. You tell me so much about how much of God's grace you've received. Nick, we start to walk in grace upon grace upon grace, and we become just these fountains that leak grace. I didn't say tolerance. I said grace. So, so there's this tug of war tension. What will I do with the grace of God that's being extended to me? Will I receive it? And drop myself righteous card saying I can't do anything to deserve it. And then how will I extend that grace to others who are wayward and hurting? If you embrace his grace, you will start to extend that grace. And you will speak up. And you will stand up, and you won't back down. I invite you to a life of surrender. I invite you to a place of surrender. I invite you to wallow in the grace of God today. For some, it will be for the first time. I invite you to violently repent and cry out saying, I receive your grace. I am Gomer. But praise God, Hosea, Yeshua, for salvation. I receive it. I'm tired of being stuck. And for some, you, you, you haven't been standing strong. And there's people in your life that God is pointing out right now saying, I've been telling you to speak up. I've been telling you to share my good news. I've been telling you to talk about what matters, not sports, politics, or whatever. I've been telling you it don't matter. It's not going to last. Speak up. Stand up. And show up.